And good afternoon and thank you once again for joining me for Business, The Law and You. Julian Campbell here. We've got another interesting show lined up for you this week. But later in the program, we're going to have a look at one of our Harvard Business Review tips. This particular one is set ground rules for behaviour in your next meeting. We're also going to be checking, ch- chatting with Christina a bit later on about the importance of trust and transparency in your business. But right now, we're going to chat with Rani Gander, who's a partner with Turnbull Hill Lawyers. We're going to be talking about shareholders' agreements. Good afternoon, Rani. Good afternoon. Thanks for joining us again. So I suppose the first question we've got to ask is, what is a shareholders' agreement? Well, Julian, it's basically as it sounds. So it's a legally binding agreement between shareholders of usually a private company, and it describes how they'll act and interact as uh, shareholders of that company. So so why do we have a shareholders agreement then? Well, a shareholders agreement can clarify the obligations and also the expectations that each shareholder has um, of themselves and of others. So it can deal with things like the control of the company, um, who has casting votes, whether it's one vote um, per share, uh, or they may have unequal shareholdings but have an equal vote. Um, it can cover things like who's entitled to be a director or nominate a director, and it's it's specific to that company. So unlike the Corporations Act, which is wide and not tailored to an individual situation just to any company, it can. the other thing it can do is it can also resolve issues before they become an issue. So because during the drafting process you're going to um, have a guided discussion about what each shareholder will contribute, what expectations there are, what maybe is unacceptable, and how someone may depart or enter the company, um, you can get a, a good amount of clarification before you even enter into the company and, and know the terms by which you're becoming part of that company. So uh, when should we put this uh, agreement in place? Look, ideally, it would be at the beginning of the company, so it's clear what's going on and how you agree the company should run. However, you really can put it in at any time. So some examples we've seen is if there's one shareholder and then you've got a second shareholder entering into the company or you've had two and you're getting a third to come along, Um, or if there's been some issues in the running of the company, and it's a discussion by the shareholders that's ultimately documented by agreement or deed about um, it sort of resets what the expectations are and, and clarifies what the roles are. Yeah, I was just going to ask another question there, Ruth. Does it matter on the size of the company? For example, I've got a, I've got a company and uh, it's just myself and my wife as shareholders. Um, well, I would say if it was just you, there's no need for an agreement. If you and your wife get on... Well, probably not a great need for an agreement. But if, for example, you had a company and you were running it that involves, say, uh, your son, mm. that's sometimes a, a good a good time. Even though it's family, it, it just makes it quite clear what will happen, and particularly around the exiting, um, when maybe someone is going to retire, how much notice they're going to give, those kind of things. So really... Unless if you're a single shareholder, absolutely no point. But then um, just depending on the nature of uh, how many shareholders um, and their relationships. Um, so husband and wife, maybe not so much. Um, but with, 
Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, so that leads into our next question. What happens if I get a new shareholder or one leaves? Most shareholders' uh, agreements are, are, are drafted with a deed of accession, which basically means that any new shareholder agreement will sign up to the terms. Um, it can also mean for a shareholder that's leaving that sometimes there's constraints and restrictions, so it just prevents that person who's leaving to be in direct competition with that company for usually it's, say, a, a year or maybe a bit longer, and there's a radius of where they can compete. So it stops someone getting all the know-how, leaving the, the company and setting up in direct competition. So is a shareholder agreement something that we amend time to time, from time to time? It can be. Um, uh, you know, I would, I would not suggest that you run your company solely based on the shareholder's agreement. Often the best ones sit in a desk drawer and, and don't need to be brought out. Um, but there, it's always there if there's an issue and if over time the nature of what you're doing changes or how you wish to do things, then you can absolutely update it. So, so what is the difference between a shareholders agreement and a company constitution? Um, the company constitution governs things like meetings of mem members, um, sometimes how shares can be recorded. And if you, you could think of it as the rule book for the company and how it can operate. Whereas a shareholders agreement or a deed can touch on things um, that go beyond that, that in to encompass the behaviours, the roles, the responsibilities of the shareholders. And it can be far more specific and detailed. Um, and if there's an inconsistency between the shareholders' agreement and the constitution, usually the shareholders' agreement will state that it prevails. Oh, OK. Well, thanks very much for your time. That's uh, enlightened me. I have to go and think whether I need to do one now. <laughs> Hopefully not with your wife. <laughs> well, um, yeah, well, thanks for that. And uh, we'll have a chat with you another time. Okay, thanks a lot. Ronnie Garner there from Turnbull Hill Lawyers, shareholder agreements. Yes, uh, we do often see some of these uh, disputes happen within shareholders on the TV, so uh, very, very important that we make sure that we uh, cover all those areas. And you're listening to Business, the Law and You on 2NURFM. It's 20 past one. Time to pop over and see, have a chat with Christina. Good afternoon, Christina. Good afternoon, Julian. How are you this week? I'm very well. We're going to talk about the importance of trust and transparency in your yes. business. Yeah, so small businesses, I'm sure, are feeling many effects at the moment. Mm. Uh, and, you know, every, it's almost like every time you uh, you hear anything on social media or on the internet, there's issues of trust um, that are coming up constantly. You know, do we trust the people that we uh, have our faith in making decisions for? So where does, how does that all cascade down into our businesses? So trust, transparency, always vital in, in business, particularly small business, never more so um, than at the moment. And how does trust and transparency show up within the organisations, particularly in your small businesses? So that is a question I think it's very timely for everybody to be asking themselves at team meetings, um, at executive meetings, depending on how big the teams are uh, that people are working with. And what, what do trust and transparency actually mean? And, you know, it's very easy for us to play in words, but what do they, what do, when we boil it down into an action, what does the action of trust look like? What does the action of transparency look like? What are we laying on the table at our meetings? What are we sharing with our work 
um, forces, how are we actually appearing a little vulnerable sometimes, you know, so that we're letting people know that it's okay to be vulnerable back. Uh, and clearly what goes with trust is, you know, if I fail, do you have my back? If I try something and it doesn't work the first time, do you have my back? Can I can I be assured um, that you will look after me if I if I do this thing for you and I you know I I, uh, I apply elements of what I assume to be trust and transparency within the organisation, the values of the organisation, will they catch me? How, how would you suggest we? Uh measure this? Do we do it with a feedback from our customers, feedback from our staff members? Uh, you know, I really like Branson's um, idea of happy happy staff, happy customers, happy shareholders. So everything cascades outwards. If, you, if your people are turning up to work, so let's go, everybody at the moment has gone, uh, or not everybody, most people are working remotely at the moment. And here there's a big element of trust. Some people are going, I trust my workplace, my, my employees, I trust everybody to be attaining um, the goals that they set and I'm happy um, to set outcomes and everybody needs to meet the outcomes as opposed to um, organisations that are a bit fearful or, you know, in, in um, sometimes a lot fearful and they're making people clock in and they're making people accountable for every minute rather than the outcome, the OKR, the, you know, the, mm. the big long-term goal that people are setting. Uh, and that's another thing where it also plays in, uh, I think, particularly with remote learning and the issues of trust, transparency, working from home, increased productivity. You know, we know that, that organisations that have really good cultures and that have really good objectives and have set, um, set goal-oriented and, and set visions for the organisation so that everybody is heading in the one direction, we know their productivity increases. All you've got to do is look around at, you know, so when you say measure, how do we measure these things? Have a look at the bottom lines of organisations that put um, their, their staff first, their, um, their, you know, their, their customers second and their shareholders third because happy, 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 you know. If you, it, and it cascades down, you know, as they say, and as we know, Julian, the fish rots from the head down. So if you've got a manager that's not trusting, that that's the whole atmosphere that's going to be created. Mm. And, and when it comes to supporting our staff, I think there's areas there that we have to be very careful that we don't support our staff if our staff are definitely wrong. Oh, correct. And and But, you know, most people argue about wrong or right when, A, ego is involved because mm. I can't be seen to be wrong, or B, you don't have my back. If I'm wrong, I'm going to get the sack. Mm. You know, so again, it's very much fear-oriented. If we can take that fear out and say, you know, nobody sets out to fail. Well, I'm not saying let's support people that set out to undermine, to, you know, to, to, to cause catastrophe for the organisation. I'm saying people that, that genuinely are trying to assist with what people are doing or what the organisation's doing, genuinely trying to assist the organisation reach its goals, something goes wrong, they make a mistake, they fall over, let's make people feel safe, you know, mm. that at least they've tried something and, you know, clearly if, if it's a fraud or if it's going to lose a billion dollars or if it's, you know, going to have absolutely catastrophic results, they shouldn't have had um, the ability to do that on their own in the first place. But, we, you know, I, we're not, when we hire people, we hire people that we think fit into the organisation, um, that we trust to do the jobs that, that we don't have time to do, that we don't have the skills to do, uh, you know, and, and that fill a gap. So why am I hiring 
if I'm not trusting. And, and there's a... That's Sorry, what I think a... is wrong, that there are a lot of organisations that get people to reapply for their jobs every three years oh, or something. Yeah. That, that puts all that fear back in them for, a, for another six to 12 months. Absolutely, and that's how long it takes. So you're spot mm. on, that's how long it takes for anyone to feel secure. And then as soon as, you know, it's like restructure after restructure after restructure, um, but people are going to lose, lose faith in that security. And security... I mean, look, we're living in very uncertain times well, at the that's moment. Right. Yeah. So if we can feel secure at all in the fact that our organisation trusts us, you know, even, even if that's the security and we go down fighting for what we believe is good and we go down fighting for the vision and the mission and the values of the organisation and the outcomes based that we're searching, then, you know, at least we can say we've given it everything that we've got. At the moment, with fear, with mistrust, makes things very difficult because everybody's second-guessing everybody all the time and yeah. that does not make for a productive workforce. No, no, we've only got to watch the television to see a lot of that happening. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, what are we doing with our governments? You know, mm-hmm. we mm-hmm. vote people in and then we can't wait to pull them apart. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, the whole blame game, the whole finger-pointing exercises at the moment are not achieving anything except bad will yeah. and we cannot deal with this situation that we're in at the moment with bad will so trust and transparency an interesting question for me is do we want people to earn trust um, or do they get it automatically until they lose it so for me that that's a really interesting way of yeah. looking at yeah. how you set trust up in an organization right so yeah yeah well thanks very much for your time we'll have a chat with you again next week look forward to it julian have a great week you too thank you bye-bye bye Christina there helping us to uh, think about trust and transparency. Probably never been so important as it has right now, especially with all this uh, fear and uh, anguish about what the future's going to hold. Someone's got to be trusting. And you're listening to Business, The Law and You on 2NURFM. It's just 29 minutes to two. Time for our Harvard Business Review tip. As we said earlier, this one is Set Ground Rules for Behaviour in your next meeting and of course meetings have changed a lot at the moment with uh, a lot of online meetings being held and I think uh, these ground ground rules are just as applicable to that. It's helpful to start a meeting by agreeing on procedural rules like start on time and end on time and put phones on vibrate and of course with an online meeting that might mean to switch their uh, mute on and off. But ground rules that focus on behaviour, not just logistics, can help your meeting be even more successful. These rules describe specific actions that team members should take to act effectively. And here are a few to consider. Firstly, state views and ask genuine questions. This rule discourages monologues and arguments and encourages a conversation in which members seek to understand everyone's point of view. Secondly, use specific examples and agree on what important words mean. You want all the team members to use the same words to mean the same thing. Thirdly, explain reasoning and intent. This allows members to understand how others reached their conclusions and see where their reasoning differs from yours. And finally, jointly design next steps. This ensures that everyone is committed to moving forward together as a team. 
Well, thank you for being with me for the last half hour. I hope you've enjoyed the program. We've looked at shareholder agreements with uh, Rani Gander. We've also had a big chat about importance of trust and transparency. In a moment, Jane Klein will be back with you with more of your easy listening favourites. Next week, we're going to talk about starting and growing a business with Kimberly Claire Campbell, a business mentor at the Hunter Region Business Hub. We'll have our Minute on Innovation with Christina and some more business and legal news and views that might affect your business. I'd love your company again for Business, the Law and You at the same time next week. Until then, have an exciting and prosperous week. And as Aristotle once said, we are what we repeatedly do. Excellence, then, is not an act, but a habit. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.